0: Reading from Galatians 6, chapter 11th verse. I'm reading from King James, which may be just a little different from your bulletin. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. But desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: When you write a letter, how do you close it? Maybe it's a form letter, and maybe you use sincerely. Anybody? Yes? Yours truly? Anybody? Uh, best regards, respectfully. If it's somebody that's close to you, you might say you might write XOXO, hugs and kisses, right? Um, if you want to make a statement, and you're a uh, Christian, uh, Christians use lots of Christianese as they c- conclude letters. Uh, We say things like, in his grip, or all for his glory, and then we sign our name, or serving him. Uh, The best one that I've ever seen is uh, just Jude 2. And it made me look up Jude 2. Uh, And Jude 2 says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, right? Um, if we are about insp- inspiring the person that we're um, writing to, we might say working for your success. Or maybe if you're unintentional <laughs> about, uh, and haphazard about signing at the end of your emails, um, your phone will do it for you. It will just say, sent from my iPhone. I don't know if you realize that or not. So from now on, just FYI, right? Your, so, your phone is doing that for you. Um, There are some funny sign-offs for letters. Um, Yours till the Hershey's kiss. That's a good one. Yours till the candlesticks. Yours till the ice ages. Yours till the banana splits. Yours till the butterflies. You see how this is going, right? Yours till the kitchen sinks. Yours till Niagara falls. Ha ha. How do you end a letter? Here's how Paul chooses to end his letter in Galatians, he says in verse 11, see with what large letters I write to you with my own, own hand. And this large letter business is that Paul is taking the chair and the pen from his amanuensis. That's a, just a fancy word for his secretary who's writing the letter down for him. He's dictating to this guy. And he grabs the chair, he takes the pen, and he begins to write. He begins, he gets the biggest sharpie that he can. And where we would write our name, he writes his final push. And there are lots of theories as to why Paul did this in the letter of Galatians. Why did he take the pen? Why did he write in such large letters? Some people say, well, he had bad eyes. And that could be true. Um, large letters may have been the only kind of letters he could see, right? That's, I mean, some of you are familiar with that. Uh, we need the large print and, uh, you know, you need, we need the bifocals and that kind of thing. And, um, if you go back in Paul's story, he was struck down by a bright light in Acts chapter 9 as, as Jesus spoke to him from this light. And he was actually blind for three days. And so this blindness business, this light striking him in the eyes could have affected him. It could have marked him for the rest of his life. Maybe his eyes were pretty bad. That's possible. Number two, maybe he was just a bad handwriter. Uh, he had bad handwriting. He says, "I'm writing you in my own hand," and maybe he should have been a doctor, right? Um, you know, if somebody cannot read your handwriting, which a lot of people have told me, I can't read your handwriting, and uh, to be honest, I can't read my handwriting sometimes. That's that's just the way it goes, but. Uh, When somebody says that to you, just say, you know what? It's okay. Uh, It's not really bad handwriting. It's just my own font. That's what's happening. It's just my own font. That's what you say. Maybe this is another sobering slap across the face of the Galatians. Not the teachers, but the Galatians themselves. Paul has already spent ink back in chapter 3 on the idea in chapter 4 that... They were stuck in the elementary principles of the world. Um, in 4.3, he says, um, Do you want to go back to those elementary principles of the world? And we could translate that as ABCs. In other words, the, the farthest you've gotten is learning your ABCs. That's it. And so maybe he says here how little they know. I'm, I'm having to use large letters. I'm having to go back to the ABCs because you are kindergartners spiritually. You're full of immaturity. And all I can write is the ABCs because that's all you understand. That's, that's possible. All those might have some weight. I think our best one is to conclude this, that Paul uses large letters. He grabs the big sharpie pen to make the point of the most important. This is his final push. He uses the big letters to underscore the most important message he has for them, the, the thing that he's been trying to tell them the whole time. And if you miss this, you miss it all. And we launched into this last week, and he. His final push involves two invitations. The first invitation that we covered last week was to understand the cross. Understand what the cross does for us. And we talked about that. And the second invitation is the one we'll dive into today. The second one is I want you, once you understand the cross, to walk by a new rule that will mark you forever. That's it. And that's our how to do nothing uh, line for today. Walk by a new rule that will mark you forever. Here's verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel. Of God, And so Paul is using his first invitation uh, to understand the cross and building it into a second invitation uh, that says, I, now I want you to walk by this new rule that you have learned because you understand the cross. So let's talk about what this new rule is. What is it? What is it? Well, there are three places we get help from. We get help from verses 14 and 15, and verses 14 and 15 are a summary of the gospel. And what does Paul say say there? We've covered it last week. He says, far be it from me to boast in anything but the cross. In other words, he's telling us to keep the cross at the center of our life. To rely not on what we do, but on what Christ has done. To boast in the cross is to keep the cross as the foundation of everything I do and make it alone my identity in life. So we get help from 14 and 15. We also get help from the word itself, the word for rule, the word for rule. The word for rule means a carpenter's line. Anybody, uh, woodworking person in here, Uh, there's uh, there's an adage, if you start to work with wood and it goes this way, that you measure twice, yes, you got it, and cut once. Yes, that's it. Measure twice, cut once, because you're likely to... Uh, if you mismeasure and you don't cut in the right place, you mess up boards and you mess up all the expensive stuff, uh, you know, material that you've, you've bought to work with. And that is the word here, to measure and draw a line so that you cut correctly. That's the word. There's another picture that I didn't really put in your notes but it, uh, for this word, and it is the survey line. Anybody uh, ever had a property dispute? Uh, Maybe you have a tree and it falls in your backyard, but it's but it's kind of on the line. You're not really sure. And you're not really sure if it's yours or your neighbor's tree and you don't really know who's supposed to take care of it. And unless you can come to an agreement, what has to happen is the survey guy has to come out and he has to use all of his tools and equipment. And maybe there's a survey pen there in the corner of your yard that because your yard's already been surveyed maybe. And you need to know where that line is so that you know where the tree, uh, who, who the tree belongs to, right? And who's responsible for the tree going down in the backyard a survey line dividing property this is yours this is mine that's the word for rule and so we get help there we get help also from chapter 5 verse 6 chapter 5 verse 6 he says paul says what counts is faith working in love now, why would that phrase help? Well, it's because it's the exact same sentence that Paul uses here in our text. He says in 5.6, For Christ, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, in our text, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But here he ends a different way. He says, a new creation. All that counts is a new creation. And so those two things, those two phrases equal one another. Faith, working in love equals a new creation. And so let's put all of those together. What is this new rule? The new rule is that the cross is at the center of my life, that the cross is a line that tells me if I'm on track or not. It tells me if I'm out of bounds or not. It tells me if I'm dividing uh, life correctly. And when I'm walking that line correctly, literally the word means get in line, when I'm in line correctly as with the cross in the center of my life, then My life will be epitomized by faith, working in love. It will make me a completely new person from the person I once was. And people will be able to look at me and say, there's something different about him. He is a new creation and it changes the way I relate to everyone. It changes my identity. It changes my motives. And newness is the result. So let's say this. The new rule is a new way of measuring my life. The new rule is a new way of measuring my life. Maybe a good way to explain the new measuring line is to remind you of your old measuring lines or the normal measuring lines that people use in life. Paul spells them out very clearly here. He says there are two of them. There's circumcision, that's one line, and uncircumcision is the other line. In other words, there is circumcision, which means very religious. There is uncircumcision, which means very unreligious. And those are the two measuring mistakes that we usually use. These are normal ways that people measure themselves and others. The first mistake, the circumcision side is this. I think to myself, the more I obey, the more I am right with God. That's the way I draw the line. And that's the way I measure myself. The more I obey, the more I'm right with God. I want you to think about what the Galatian book is all about, what the letter is all about. Paul is confronting these teachers who come in after he has left, after he has preached the gospel and he's gone to preach, uh, to, to plant other churches. And these teachers come in and they say, oh, Paul, he's great. We love Jesus. But what you really need to do is start obeying the law of Moses. That will really make you right with God. And the the teachers were about being moral, being circumcised, doing right, observing all the law without fail, to wear only the approved uniform, so to speak, right? And that's easy to buy into this line, the better I am, the more I obey, the, the more right I am with God. But here's Paul's truth. Throughout this letter, he said this, moral successes don't make you more saved circumcision doesn't matter is what he says here my level of obedience is great in helping me to live my life well and it is useful right and we want to be people who obey just so that we can live life the best we can live it okay but it has no value in making me right with God why because I'm I already messed it up There's sin in my life and that automatically separates me from him. And so Christ crucified, the cross in the center means that I have no reason to feel superior to somebody or scornful of sinful people that may be around me. Circumcision means nothing. Your moral aptitude in regard to your salvation means nothing. Here's, here's the second misunderstanding, the second measuring mistake we make. Uh, on the opposite end, we say, the more I fail, the less I'm right with God. And we go back to the teachers. What were they pushing? Obey and be moral and be circumcised and do right and wear only the approved uniform, so to speak, right? And what happens when I can't do that? Well, my moral failures must make me less saved. And you can see the problem. Depending on the day, maybe I have some success and I think I'm good with God. Or depending on the day, maybe I have some failures and, oh man, I'm out today. Paul says, no, 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 that's not it. The Christ crucified, the cross in the center means that I have no reason to feel inferior or intimidated or that... Somebody is better than me because they're more moral or or more religious because I'm a failure compared to them. Paul says, no, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything either. And so the new rule is this, that I'm walking the line in the middle where the cross is and I, I rely only what Christ has done and not what I am trying to do in order to be right with God. And so the result of that is that I feel neither inferior to anyone or superior to anyone and I'm being made all over into something entirely new. Can I give you a quick example of how this might work in my life? The the new way of measuring is to ask this, is my faith working with the right motives? Is my faith working with the right motives? And here's an example. Uh, maybe there's a counselor, and he has a married couple, and he is explaining. Uh, he's kind of diving into their lives, and he realizes that they have severe conflicts over they handle how they handle money. Okay, uh, this isn't a sermon on money. It's just an example. Okay, um, the wife considers her husband a real miser. You know, he won't give her any money. He he just always, you know, is saving it. He just won't won't ever spend it, and. He, the, the husband, looks at his wife and says, you are a, just uh, wasteful in your spending. And you want to spend so that you can look good to other people. You spend your, your money on clothes and, and to make yourself look good. And it's clear that you are spending money so that other people will approve of you. Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, the counselor is pretty wise. And so he um, challenged this man and he said this. Do you see that by not spending or giving away any of your money, by socking away every penny, by never letting your wife spend everyth- anything, uh, even though every penny she gets, she, it goes out the door. Do you see by doing that you are being just as selfish? You're spending, spending Absolutely everything on your need to feel secure and protected and in control. Luckily, the man is somebody who received that well. And maybe he says, you know, I never thought about it like that. And maybe their marriage is a little different because of it. So what do we learn from that? The miser husband has an extravagant wife, right? And the right thing is what the money, outside looking in, is what the husband did with money. The right thing was to save it. But all he was doing was trying to grab control, trying, trying to grab security. And so the right thing can be the wrong thing. And... What she was doing was a grab for approval. And so money can't give us either one of those things, but we think it can. It's a very popular savior that we try to um, get into our lives and our ability to go out and have nice things or, uh, and enjoy a nice meal at a restaurant or have the newest gadget um, to be able to rub shoulders with a certain peer group. All of those things are more important to us than we really know. And so how do we use this new rule with money? How do we make it so that money, uh, I don't hoard money uh, for control, or uh, on the other hand, I don't show off with money for approval from other people? How do I use this new rule? Number one, I have to realize the scorecard that money has become in my life. If you see people that are better off than you, even though you may work harder or uh, you think you're a better person um, and you see people with Uh, more money, and it kind of gets under your skin, then guess what? Money has become a scorecard for you. It's common. It's the line that you've begun to use to measure your worth. It's your identity, and it has an incredible power to keep you away from God. So first, we have to realize the scorecard that we're using. Second, once you realize the scorecard, you get to change it. I love this part of the gospel. I wish it was true at the golf course. <laughs> I, I go out to the golf course and I, I'm on a tee and there it says, uh, this is a, you know, 165 par three. Well, I, I wish I could just make it a par six. <laughs> Let's do that. This is a 416 yard par five. I wish I could make it a par 10. And then uh, later that day, oh, I shot six under. Yes. Awesome. That's how it works. But the gospel invites us to do that. We actually do get to change the scorecard. We get this new line, this new rule when we put the cross in the middle. And to use it, then we think through what that means on a case-by-case basis. And so let's let, get, give our example of money. And we let the message of the cross melt us to the point where money is drained of its importance in our life. And to do that, we have to know Scripture. And so it would be uh, one that we could point to in that illustration is um, in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, you know what? If you're rich, here's what Scripture says about our Savior Jesus. That although he was rich, he became poor for our sake. Jesus himself was incomprehensibly rich. He owns everything. He has all the glory, all the wealth, all the love and joy of the Trinity from all eternity. He has all of this wealth. But what did he choose to do? He left it behind him and he said I'm going to go into the world and I'm going to go into a level of poverty deeper than anyone has ever known and I'm going to give everything that is rightfully mine I'm going to give it away I'm going to give away my status my nature my wealth even the poor life that I will adopt I'm going to give that away on the cross why? for you for me and so now The standard on how we use money is the cross. Human status, when I operate this way, when I change the scorecard, human status just becomes human status. And there's no room for arrogance or envy. Approval just becomes approval from other people. It's nice, but I really don't need it. It's not going to change my self-worth. And... I can give money away when I need to give it away or I can keep it depending on what's best at the time. The only way to counteract the power of money in my life is to see what the wealthiest person who ever lived, who ever existed, did with his wealth. And he gave it all away so that you could be his treasure. That's what he did. And that will make him yours. Money will cease to be the currency of your significance and security. And you want to bless others with what you have. And to the g- degree that you grasp the gospel, money will have no dominion over you. Now, that's just one area of life. That's just one slice. That's money. What about what about relationships? What about careers? What about sexuality? What about self-image? It changes the game when we are able to put the cross in the middle as the new scorecard with for how we measure our life. Second thing about this new rule is what it does. It marks us forever. This new rule marks us forever. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as, for, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We are marked by some new results. Paul says, you put the cross in the center of your life, and peace is going to be a part of your life. Those old measuring ways, they brought striving and frustration and anxiety and pressure. But walking by this new rule means that I don't need to fear the world on one hand, but on the other hand, I don't need to worship the world, and peace is a result. Mercy is a result. Peace is that peace of mind that I am right with God because of what Jesus has done. Mercy is that compassion that I can have for others with no strings because of what Christ has done for me. So we have new results. Number two, we have new relationships. What does he say? He says, the Israel of God. That's the church, the Israel of God, and it's a reminder of what the goal is. The teachers have been telling the Galatians, the goal is to be a part of Abraham's family. They just differ in how to get there. Paul says to be a part of Abraham's family is through faith in what Jesus has done and baptism. And that's a doorway that gets you in. What the teachers have been saying is, no, you have to be a, a circumcised person to be a part of Abraham's family. And all those clothed with Christ, Paul says, are a part of this new family. The Israel of God, the chosen people. We are heirs. We are part of the family. And we get new relationships when we put the cross in the center. Number three, we have a new identity. A new identity. Verse 17. Paul says, he he uses a very interesting line here, and this is worthy of, uh, of some discussion. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks of Jesus. What does that mean? Has anybody ever heard the word stigmata? Anybody? Yes. Yeah. Well, this is where that word comes from. That's the Greek word behind this word for marks. Maybe you've um, watched some crazy Hollywood movie uh, from the 90s called stigmata you know and uh, the stigmata historically is when people are literally marked with the same scars and wounds that were that Jesus was marked with uh, hands and feet and side and and maybe on the head with the crown of thorns okay historically um, there was a guy named Saint. Francis of Assisi and he is, purportedly uh, said to have had the marks of Jesus. I, I can't validate that. I can't not, you know, I, I, I can't really speak to that. Just that's what history tells us. So what do these mean? Does, does that mean that Paul is saying that we should all have the marks of Jesus on our hands and feet and side? What, how are we marked? Here's what we know. Here's what I can tell you for sure. That these marks that Paul is referring to are evidence of Paul's suffering. What was Paul sent to do? Paul was sent to preach and to teach. And to tell the gospel of Jesus. When he was struck down with a light on the road to Damascus, he turned his life over to Jesus. And from then on, he was about preaching the gospel to everybody who would listen. And what that meant was at every turn, it seemed like he was getting beat or whipped or imprisoned. Or he was involved in shipwrecks or he was stoned. And all of those kind of things leave their physical mark, don't they? Do you have scars? We could we could all point to. Uh, I got this scar here. I can point to a couple scars on my hands, and I can take you back to, to those stories. We all have scars. What from? What from? Paul says, my scars, my marks, are from sharing the news about Jesus with other people. And so Paul points to his marks. And I think it's one last swipe at the teachers. Because by now you know, and I've said it again today, what is the book about? The teachers are telling the Christians in Galatia that they have to be circumcised. To be right with God, you have to mark yourself. And then you'll be a part of the family of God. And Paul says, right in the face of these teachers, right in the last line of the letters, he says, do you want to mark people? Do you really want to be marked by the gospel? It's the gospel that marks us, not a knife that marks us. The gospel makes a difference. The teachers said, mark yourself to get God's favor. Paul says it this way. We are given God's favor. And because of that, we are marked. We are marked people. Paul understands the gospel so much that it shows on his body. What about us? What about you? What about me? Are we marked in that way? One of the lessons here hiding for us is that we see in Paul's marks is this, that if if you, if you want to know the gospel, if you want to learn about how to follow Jesus, find some person, some people with some marks on the Find some teachers and mentors and guides that have some scars. Find some people that have been through the ringer and have the scars to show for it and yet they're still following Jesus. Find some people who have suffered and are still joyful. Find some people who have lost but still love. Find some people who have every reason to deny God. If you were to look at them and just their lot in life, you just say, how can they still believe? Find somebody like that, that's still holding on to God with everything that they have and learn from them. Find somebody marked by the gospel and say, show me, help me, teach me. That's your invitation today. To be marked, to be new, to let God's grace to let Jesus work in you and make you into a new creation. The new rule is to walk by this newness, this faith working in love that will mark you forever. And if you're a Christian in here, it means just reminding yourself that you're new. If you are not a Christian in here, it means opening yourself up to the possibility that. There can be newness in your life. You can become something different. You can become new by keeping the cross at the center and using a new scorecard. What does it mean to be made new? I want to read, just to close, I want to read three scriptures. Three scriptures. One is from Romans 6. It says this, that we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what newness of life. How do we become new? Buried into His death by baptism. John three says this. Jesus, He's talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus answered Nicodemus, and He says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." And Nicodemus said, "How, how in this? How is that possible?" Uh, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's a reference to the baptism that we're, we've been talking about. And here in this, in this letter in Galatians, he says this in chapter three, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Even you daughters get to be sons of God with all the inheritant rights. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You are new in faith and in baptism. We say it this way around here we are saved by grace, through faith, in baptism for good works. That's how the salvation process works. And so the new rule, where is it from? It's all because of grace. It's all because of grace. Paul concludes his letter. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers. Amen. We start by grace. We talked about Jesus plus nothing. That's all grace. We walk in grace. We talked about walking the line. That's all about walking in grace. We continue in grace. We talked about, oh, dear idiots, in the middle of the, of the book. And we continue in grace. And we change through grace. That's what chapters 5 and 6 are about. We change because of this great grace that we have been given. And at the end of the day, it is all. Say it with me. Grace. Grace. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your grace allows us to be new people, to be marked by the cross of Christ in such a way that people around us can see something different. Father, for those of us who have been around this game a while, would you help remind us that we are actually new people every day? That people should be looking at us and saying, you know what? There's something different about them. That's newness. Remind us of that, God. And Father, there might be some in this room that have never accepted the cross of Christ. They've never put that cross in the middle through faith and baptism. Father, would you work on their heart? Would you help them to understand that this new scorecard is the solution for life. It helps us to have life eternally, but it helps us to have life right now. I pray that they'll see that, that their eyes will be opened to the grace that you have to offer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.